Another episode of the Slam Fest podcast, where we bring the premier rock concert pregaming experience from the parking lot to the podcasting airwaves. I'm Brad. So we are upon the last Slam Fest crew member to be on the show. And what, what's the saying? Save the best for last. Last but not least, here's the other Brad of the Slam Fest crew equation. Welcome to the show, Brad. Brad Rustoven. Great <laughs> to be here. I'm here finally. Finally, but when we get into the episode, it'll all make sense of why we waited for this episode based on the based on the content. So, um, so Brad and Andy are brothers. Andy's been on the show three times, I believe. And again, I met Andy in seventh grade, and had to have met you, Brad, at some point around there. At, you know, whether it was out at your house or or, or something, I can't place it exactly. But I think it, it probably was, and maybe it was being at your house listening to your band practice. <laughs> yeah, it was either that or I was trying to think of when I first met you, and it's, I don't remember exactly, but I remember walking into your bedroom and seeing the posters and all the crazy stuff and the Kiss stuff. I'm like, oh my God. This is my brother. <laughs> yeah. Finally, somebody that gets it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I can remember, um, you know, obviously Andy t- telling me about how, how big of a Kiss fan you are. I think I remember being at a high school football game, maybe, and seeing you and Jay there. So, again, Jay's been on the show and Brad and Jay are, are long, long time friends. But Jay making the biggest point that Brad, Brad Cohen's got every Kiss album, you know, like that was a huge, he's got it all. He's got it all on vinyl, all the, all the LPs. I can remember him talking about that. And then of course, being out at your house and seeing all the memorabilia that you had, which you ended up selling me some of it. And I know we were talking about that via text uh, recently, yeah. but yeah, you sold me some cool stuff. <laughs> I might want some of that back now. That <laughs> yeah, I think right. about it for a minute. Oh yeah, cow! I still got the Kiss dolls. I got the the little paper drum set that you had to put together. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I could I could tell you a story about. Um, we put like a, my friend Kurt Hack. Uh, he lived you know behind us. Yep. And we created this stage, this Kiss concert stage, and with flashlights. And we had the Kiss dolls on the stage and we had confetti. We cut up all this paper that was different colors, put it in these little Dixie cups. 
And then we're like, okay, what, how are we going to put this concert on? And speaking of Andy, my brother, I think we sold him a ticket. I think I remember hearing about this story. I think. Yeah. Yeah. So he, he was the only one that attended. That was the lowest attendance kiss concert ever, (laughs) but it was just the kiss dolls. And we put the record player on and it was probably deuce what we started with. And we had, we had flour for the smoke. For sm- oh yeah. Oh yeah. Blow the flower. And we made Andy sit down and watch the show <laughs> and we're throwing confetti and stuff. <laughs> I think he's still pissed to this day that, that we charged him like two bucks or something. First, uh, yeah. Well, he, uh, he paid it. So that's his, that's his <laughs> own, that's his own fault. So, so again, seventh grade, I met Andy. And so that, um, that January, so January of 86, I think you and Jay, went to kiss and wasp in omaha (laughs) on the so that was the asylum tour so what do you remember about that show (laughs) well i guess the biggest event of that was the uh the barricade breaking and we were right up front we weren't front row but we were close general admission of course General admission yep. standing there with a bunch of sweaty high and drunk 30 year olds i'm sure with like the uh, denim jackets and yeah and all that stuff yep and um i i think it was before or maybe it was after wasp and before kiss yeah right yep i think that's the way it went down yeah so the lights are on we're getting ready for kiss and all the security guards are in front and you know they're all they're always just yelling at people and something happened and that barricade (laughs) gave out because the stage is about to collapse, or you should cancel the show. Now we said, we don't know when we're gonna be able to come back to Omaha, so we are gonna go out and give it our fucking best for the people who came tonight. Now we are not going home until you people have had enough. We will play. And all I remember from that was hearing a crack, and then we all just shoved forward five to ten feet, like instantly. Oh my god! I'm not sure what happened to the security guards because they're between the stage and that barricade. I'm not sure what happened there, but. Maybe they jumped up on the stage or yeah, they, something they probably, got in the way. I'm sure they saw it coming, but yeah. something happened and that was a disaster. Yeah. Yep. I, I, you know, that's what I remember mostly, which is surprising. But <laughs> the other thing, I think I remember Wasp more than Kiss. Yeah. Well, they were, they were, uh, you know, they were probably a big draw, you know? Yeah for yep. for you know, opening for kiss at that point in time i mean kiss was doing okay you know they were 
they were kind of getting into that hair band <laughs> genre, you know, and that's, that's the path they were going down, which was fine. And it was successful for them in the eighties. But yeah, I think Wasp was what Kiss was in 75, right? People wanted to go see what that was all about based on yep. what people were hearing about it. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And you know, people, they were expecting Kiss. They know what's coming. Yep. With Wasp, it was a little different. <laughs> and Blackie Lawless and Chris Holmes, it, it was the real deal. And um, they were great. Everything was great. Kiss was great. But for some reason, I, re- I just remember the barricade mostly and then Wasp. Well, because that's one of those events. I mean, that barricade breaking, you know, that's one of those once in a lifetime things that you're never going to forget probably ever. <laughs> yeah yeah it's like that and, and the hell's angels with rolling stones <laughs> right exactly exactly so so tonight so this episode is going to revolve around the two kiss reunion shows that i saw within a week of each other first one was october 16th 1996 palace of auburn hills auburn hills michigan the second one was october 23rd 1996 omaha civic auditorium Omaha, Nebraska, and actually Brad went to the second Omaha show on October 24th, 96. So that's part of the reason that made sense to have Brad on this episode. He's a big Kiss fan, and he obviously went to one of the two uh, sold-out Omaha reunion shows. As I've done on the other Kiss episodes, I like to talk a little bit about what was going on between the last show, Kiss show I saw and this Kiss show. And there's not very much time between these because I saw saw them in July. Um, and then this next one was in October. But there were, were a couple of interesting things. Uh, there was a good MTV news report on the Tiger Stadium show. Um, and Kurt Loder uh, and Tabitha Soren, the, the two news people were, were on there. And Kurt Loder was being kind of a prick on that i mean he was he was kind of making fun of fun of kiss and the 70s and all this stuff and then august 1st abc they were on abc's good morning america so joe siegel uh went to one of the four madison square garden shows and did a did a really cool uh news report on on the show $170,000 worth of costumes, 54 pounds of makeup, and 350 pints of fake blood. No, that's not what it took to get me here this morning. It's what it's taken to get the group KISS back together for a huge summer tour. Joel Siegel caught their extravaganza in New York and is here to kiss and tell. Question, what is the hottest rock and roll tour this summer? What group has 26 gold albums, just three short of the Beatles record? Who sold out four nights at Madison Square Garden in under one hour? It took The Who one month. Hint, they're black and white and red all over. The last time I saw these guys, my hair was darker, I didn't need bifocals. I've since put on a few chins but they look exactly the same. It's KISS, the 70s supergroup. More a reunion than a comeback, the four original members together for the first time since the 70s. And they either invented or influenced hard rock, grunge, and heavy metal, and added fireworks and fiery effects that put the show in rock and roll show, and scared the hell out of parents around the world. 
They appealed to a demographic that had been left out of rock and roll, which was 13 and 14 year olds. Um, a lot of the other rock then was more sophisticated. It was about drugs and sex, and it was for an older audience. And the Kiss market zeroed in on that 13 year old boy living in his Long Island suburban house and fantasizing playing air guitar. And that was your Kiss fan. Listen to Kiss for, let's say, 20 years. The best band in the world. Came all the way from England. The Kiss. Kiss doesn't do TV interviews, but they invited me on what they call the Elvis walk, from the dressing room to the stage. Elvis had left the building, but Paul Stanley, no nerves at all, was gushing two minutes before showtime. Everybody talks about having the most dedicated fans, but our fans put it where it belongs. I mean, they, they travel to see us. Everybody can walk the walk. You gotta talk the talk and walk the walk. We're, we're walking the walk. By the way, Joan London wanted me to ask where you got the boots. I got these at Buster Brown. <laughs> Joan may change her mind when she learns these guys prance around in dragon boots with 15-inch heels that weigh 15 pounds each. On stage, it's not self-parody, it's hard, heavy rock and roll. And surprised the heck out of me, I liked it all over again. Enough time has passed and you've grown up and now you're 34 and you can remember Kiss as something that brought a lot of joy to you at that period of your life. And you can come out of the closet and be a Kiss fan again. We are backstage at Madison Square Garden. You can feel the floor shake, two words, visceral and fun. We've survived the 70s, the danger is gone. And look, one, two ambulances. It's an older crowd. 30 seconds from showtime, a kind of prayer. Let's get it. In 30 seconds, four guys in their 40s and high-heeled shoes will lead 15,000 people in a screaming, stopping, cheering sing-along. Why is Kiss here? How could they say no? And if there were any doubts, the tour is expected to net the group 30 to 50 million dollars. Tell me the truth. You're feeling real old right now, aren't you? I mean, real old. And the one thing I thought that was interesting that he said during that is he said, this is more of a reunion than a comeback, which to me, you know, is a little bit of a nod that they, you know, Paul and Gene kept this thing going in the 80s. Again, they weren't obviously as big as they were uh, in the 70s or when they put the makeup back on, but they were, you know, they were still viable, you know, at that time. And then there was a, there was a woman they interviewed on that, you know, some sort of uh, uh, entertainment reporter. And I, Brad, I thought this was so funny what she said. She says, Kiss appealed to a demographic that was left out of rock and roll, 13 and 14 year olds. All the other rock at that time was more sophisticated. It was about drugs and sex and was for an older audience. And I thought to myself, yeah, there are no Kiss songs are about drugs or sex. I mean, I don't know what she was. I'm not sure what she was talking about. I don't think she uh, I don't think she fully understood or had listened maybe to I mean, listen to rock and roll over. I don't think there's one song on there that's not about sex. And then so then August of 96, I got married and Andy Andy's gift to me. And I think Brad was involved in this. I ended up opening up the card. And the card said, we kept saying, Ace, it's with an I-E. 
And I'm like, what the fuck? What is this? What does this have to do with anything? Open the gift. And it's a framed autographed Ace Freely non-makeup promo picture. And it was signed and it said to Brad and Holly, congratulations on your marriage. Do you remember that, Brad? Yeah. Now that you <laughs> so, mentioned that. So I don't I was I, I kind of wanted to, I didn't want to bring it up prior to this and, and just see, I guess, if you remembered and how how in the world did you get this? I mean, was this you were living in Nashville, I think, at the time, right? Uh, yeah, I think I was in Nashville. And the connection there was um, my brother, Kevin, his wife, Lori, um, has a sister. And her sister lived in California and uh, was, I think, was dating somebody that was Ace's friend. I am your father's brother's nephew's cousin's former roommate. <laughs> So, so like yeah, it's degrees like of, of those, separation. It's one of those Facebook <laughs> friend things where right. you don't really know them, but you kind of do. And yeah. You really don't. Yep. So it's one of those. And um, <laughs> so I basically, once I found that connection, I was like demanding <laughs> that Stop. items get sent to me immediately. <laughs> right. And it worked. Yeah. Somehow, somehow I started getting this stuff. And yep. I, I, this day I have a computer art picture from Ace Freely. Yeah. And then that one that you're talking about. Yep. And then apparently Ace broke up with this person that he was dating and then the connection got broken. Right. Right. So, you know, at that point forward, I was pissed and I didn't <laughs> want anything to do with these people, but but for a small little flicker of time, I was connected to Ace. Yeah. Yeah. So, hey, Ace, how you doing? Yeah. So, you know, and the part of that card where it said, hey, we kept saying Ace, it's with an IE because Holly's name is with an IE, not a Y. So he got that right on the, <laughs> the signature. But what he didn't get right is he spelled congratulations wrong. And to this day, Holly never lets me forget that because he spelled it with a a D instead of a T. And then actually, Brad, you got me a, um, you got me a, a makeup promo shot of the band and Ace, you know, addressed it to Holly and I and just signed it. Um, and then he, I think you all, I also got a unplugged cassette that's got his signature on it. But the funny, yeah. th the it says Brad and Holly. And of course he, he, he put a Holly with a Y, but he wrote it on the plastic he didn't write it on the, <laughs> so, so it's not on the actual cassette cover, but it's on the, it's on the actual plastic. But anyway, though, that was, I, I was so surprised when I opened that, that picture. It was very, very cool. Well, um, yeah, it just goes to show you, Holly, yeah. that <laughs> you can still become successful. You can still become a multimillionaire. You can still become a rock star and have no idea of the English language. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I mean, he wrote Rocket Ride for crying out loud. He doesn't need to know how to spell. Oh, right. He's, he's a great songwriter. <laughs> very, very underrated. And then so and then that September, they were on the MTV Video Music Awards and they did a performance under the Brooklyn Bridge, which is just awesome that they they set up this stage. And they did rock and roll night for the actual airing of that of that show on MTV. But then they did New York Groove, Deuce, Calling Dr. Love and Love Gun 
Um, and if you haven't seen that, look it up on YouTube. It is raw. It's amazing pyro. I mean, it's just a great, they sounded great uh, on that performance. So that uh, that's mostly, and then tons of magazines. My God, at that time, they were on the cover, I think, of every... <laughs> Yep. From, from Entertainment Weekly to Spin to Forbes. Forbes was my favorite. And I've actually I've got, got a copy of that. But it said, um, Retread Rock 96. And then it says, four middle-aged guys decide it's time to save for retirement. <laughs> it's got a picture of, of them uh, during the, the reunion photo shoot. But I thought that was, you know, when's the last time a rock band was on the cover of Forbes? <laughs> <laughs> probably <Yeah>. never <laughs> yeah and those guys it, it you know some of the critics of kiss I, i've heard this my whole life as have you whether it's forbes or some dumbass at the omaha civic auditorium trying to write a review yeah <laughs> um, i'm sorry but kiss has heard this their whole life um last time i checked they're flying around in jets and they have no problem with retirement Unlike the 401k cubicle writing scumbag writing the next review of the next band coming on tour. Exactly. And yep. they've, heard, they've heard this over and over and over. And they just, I'm sure at this point, it means nothing to them. Right. They, just, they keep doing what they're doing. And yep. they're, they're never going to change. And that's, that's really the definition of success. Absolutely. Absolutely. It is. Don't, yeah, you can't do it for can't do it for the critics um you know they got to do it for themselves and that's what they that's what they've done and 45 years later i guess 46 whatever whatever the number is yeah i yeah. hope the retirement fund is okay at this point yeah yeah i'm worried i'm worried about it so yeah, I'm, sure, I'm sure they're scared <laughs> so as we've done on the other episodes with the the slam fest crew members uh we're going to get to know a little bit more about brad's history obviously we've talked a little bit about kiss but i'm sure there's i'm sure there's more more to this story we got a little surprise for you tonight we're gonna turn the microphone over to brad so brad what is your first music related memory well i listened to my brother andy on his episode and he was talking about krgi in grand island nebraska and listening to the the radio um I don't know if that was AM or FM. So KRGI was AM. Okay. 1430, yeah. I think. Yeah. 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 So that's that's what was playing in our house back in the day. But um, to me, that was more just noise in the background because I'd never really paid attention to it. Um, yep. Other than other than Jerry Rafferty, when yep. that one came on, that song kicked ass. I'm sorry. <laughs> to this day, it's good. <laughs> But other than that, KRGI did nothing for me. So I guess the oldest memory that I could think of that was like a real memory of music was my cousin's house, uh, which was outside of Omaha. When we would visit them at Christmas time, uh, they were older than us and they had the records. They had the rock and all this stuff. And that's when... I started hearing and seeing records of Leonard Skinner, Molly Hatchet, that kind of stuff. That yep. was the first time. And I didn't know any of that stuff. 
you know, coming from Grand Island, Nebraska, yeah. that, it didn't exist. <laughs> you, you didn't know it was there. Yep. It was the unknown unknown. Yep. So when you saw Leonard Skinner and they would play it, I'm like, oh my God, what the heck is this? Yeah. And I think that was the first time where that to me, it was like, I would physically listen to it um, proactively, not just in the background. Right. Uh, right. KRGI was more background in the car. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's there, but you're not really listening. You know how it goes in the small town. It's, yeah. You, you just don't know what's out there. So right. you just hear a bunch of crap and you think that's, well, that's all there is. That's all there is. Right. Right. Yeah. And then you start hearing this other stuff and it's like, oh, my God. So, yeah, li- probably Leonard Skinner was yeah one of the first records that I actually listened to. Nice. So kind of, you know, an extension of that first question, you know, what music were you exposed to growing up? Well, obviously that was some of it, but what about, you know, Andy talked about, uh, you know, Kevin and Pete, you know, were they an influence on you at all? Your, your older brothers? Um, not really. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And maybe I got my memory wrong, but what I'm thinking, or when I think back at that time, those guys Kevin and Pete, especially, they weren't really into music. I mean, they had they had some records, uh, kind of like everybody else, kind of casually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody had the wall. Everybody <laughs> had meatloaf. Right. Yep. Um, but if you go beyond that, I don't remember anything beyond that. So it it didn't really come from my household that I remember. Um, I, I'm sure there was music playing, but that it just really wasn't a thing yeah. in our household yep. at all. So yep. it came from outside, cousins and friends and stuff like that. Yep. So what was the first album you acquired? And I, I may know the answer to this, but you're going to love this. <laughs> so this is the first one that I remember. So I'm I'm pretty sure it's accurate. Rock and roll over. Yeah. And I I've seen a picture of you holding it up yeah so I, I don't know if it was a birthday or yep. i don't know is that what it was okay it was a birthday present <laughs> i don't know if my mom got it for me and how would that even happen uh, right yeah and i think i was trying to think back how that occurred <laughs> and the only thing i could think of is we used to, you know when we go to the grocery store my mom would you know push around the cart and get the you know yeah all the food and stuff like that i would the first thing i would do is run to the magazine aisle and that's when i first saw kiss okay yeah there was no youtube there was no mtv there was none of that you're you're sitting in iga on bismarck street (laughs) and nobody knows what that is or where it is it doesn't exist anymore I was in the magazine section going, oh, my God, what is this? What is that? (laughs) This was on the cover of like 16. 16. Yeah. Yep. And I just couldn't get it. I couldn't (laughs) believe this was a thing. And so I think that's that's where it started. And I would tell my mom, I'd be like, hey, um, I, I know we need like steak and potatoes or whatever but how about 16 magazine because look <laughs> at this and um somehow i sold her in 
into purchasing that stuff. And then I would cut out all the pictures of Kiss and, you know, put it in your bedroom and stuff like that. Yep. I think that's what happened. And she must have just, I, I don't know where she got the record, um, probably Kmart or something. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't know. Right. Right. But I don't even know what year that was. 76, 77. I don't know. Yeah, 76 was when the album came out. So it was probably the, yeah, that year and following year. Yeah, right around there. And so you were eight or whatever? <laughs> yeah. All of a sudden I got rock and roll over. I'm like, I am in. <laughs> and that's when it started. Yeah. And then the avalanche of, of the Kiss stuff obviously happened, right? That's then you just got, you got your hands on everything you could probably. At that yeah, point. At, at that point, you know, they're, their marketing department, which was mostly Gene Simmons, I think, yeah. um, it, it totally worked on me. Uh, anything they put out, I had to have. Yep. I don't care what it was. And, and I'm sure I'm not unique to anybody in the United States or any around the world, but uh, they really knew how to put the stuff on the magazines. That That's really where it started. And then you buy the record. Remember opening the records? And you would have the little order forms. <laughs> yep. And I'm like, oh my God, there's order forms. You could get more stuff. Yep. Genius. Like, yep. It was yes, genius. I need more stuff right here. You fill out your address and send in a check. <laughs> and the next thing I know, I'm in the Kiss Army. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's awesome. Again, I, yeah, I'm glad that was your actual first album uh, acquisition because i i do remember seeing that picture at your guys's house and that was that was great so how about purchasing with your own money oh my god you're gonna love this story <laughs> <clears throat> so <laughs> the first well it wasn't a record it was a cassette tape and this was uh, purchased at a pawn shop in downtown grand island and I'm sure I rode my little Schwinn red bike with tassels down there. <laughs> and I remember looking through the used cassettes. You know how like punch, oh, yeah. they yeah. have used stuff there? Yep. Used cassettes. So I, I, I don't even know how this happened, but Black Sabbath, we sold our soul for rock and roll. <laughs> was like 50 cents. Or a quarter. I, I don't even right. remember. Right. And that was the first thing I remember buying. I'm like, oh my God. And, and you know, back then, uh, maybe you were the same way, but a lot of these purchases were made based on what the record cover looked like. Oh, yeah. Yep. And that, that's how I got Metallica Kill 'em All. Yep. You know, Slayer, the same way. And this one, I'm like, Black Sabbath, we sold our soul. I'm like, how is this not good? You're right. right. And I totally purchased it. And then here's the best part of the whole story. You go home, you put it in your little uh, boom, boom box thing. <laughs> yep. And the tape was, you know how that gets turned over and plays like backwards or it, it gets right. all mangled? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the tape was mangled. <laughs> so I had to do surgery on it. And I'm like, dang it. So I took the pencil and, you know, and oh, yeah. screwed the tape back and forth and turned it around. And and the first song I remember playing was Black Sabbath with the rain coming down. And, yep. and I had a warped cassette tape. 
So you get the warping sound with the rain. <laughs> I was terrified and had nightmares for like the next month, but I also loved it. Yeah. Great, great record. Great cassette. Awesome. Yeah. That's it. I did not know. I did not know that story. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. So now, so now the, the, the big one, the top five bands and we'll, we'll kind of, we'll start off, you know, in, in format with quotations, obviously kind of hard rock metal um, going from the seventies through the, the 2010s. So what do you, what do you think of the the seventies? Yeah. 1970s God, seventies and eighties were just the best. And I, th- I think it was just, I don't know if it was the age or the era or the time or what, but 70s and 80s totally did it for me. So 70s, uh, Kiss, obviously. I mean, how do you not put Kiss in that one? And that's, I think that's illegal. Yeah. So Kiss is in there. Black Sabbath has to be in there. Um, Judas Priest has to be in there. Rush has to be in there. Yep. And, and one that probably is overlooked, overlooked, but is maybe the biggest one, Led Zeppelin. Yeah. Good God. I mean, that's as good as it gets. Jimmy Page. I mean, all these bands I just mentioned, they look up to Jimmy Page. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, those that would be the five that come to mind for the seventies and you know how this works. You probably leave out another hundred that are oh, just. Good. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's not easy to do, but it makes you think a little bit on what, because, you know, yeah, exactly. So how about eighties? So eighties was probably the best decade for rock and metal. And I don't know, again, I think just because my age I don't know if that's skewed or wrong or the perspective. I don't know. But the 80s in rock and metal were as good as it gets. I just don't think it's ever been replicated. Um, and maybe that's just a bias or the the age I was at at the time. I don't know. But Metallica, um, come on. Um, and I think my brother mentioned that. Oh, when, yeah. When he was on. And, uh, you know, I saw Metallica on Master of Puppets tour. Um, Ozzy, you know, the solo Ozzy stuff. You have, yep. so, so you see the theme with the Black Sabbath and Ozzy. I mean, come oh, on. Oh, yeah, right. Jesus Christ. Yep. Um, I would throw Dio in there, uh, the Dio solo stuff. Um, you know, when I look back in the 80s, you know, I was basically 10 to 20. Mm-hmm. That's the perfect age for this stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and looking back, they all know this. The marketing departments know this. Oh, the yeah. Companies know this. Yep. Uh, so Dio would be huge. Uh, Iron Maiden, uh, as good as it gets. I mean, I don't know when their first record came out. I, I think it's 80. So, okay. with, yeah, with Diano. Yeah. 80. Yeah. I wasn't sure if that was 70s, late 70s or yep. 80s. Nope, 80. Okay. Yep. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's top-notch stuff for sure. And this one's not really rock, but it definitely had an influence on me, especially because that's the decade where I started playing guitar. Yep. Uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan. Oh, yeah. Good God. When that guy came out, you thought you knew the blues. You thought you knew Muddy Waters. 
and <laughs> you kind of didn't. Yeah. Right. <laughs> there was right. this new guy called Stevie Ray Vaughan. Yep. Yep. No, that's a great, yeah, great pick. Great decade. Yep. That's probably Amazing. my favorite to this day. Definitely. So now the 90s. So the musical landscape is changing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So in the 90s and the 2000s and the 2010s, um, that's when a lot of stuff started changing, not only with technology, but also with me personally, just getting older, you know, just th different life events and stuff like that. So yep. 90s, um, corn. So I saw corn open for Ozzy in Tennessee, in Nashville. And I was stunned. I, I just could not believe that's what was coming. And Ozzy and the whole Ozzy corporation is very aware of that. They're, they're only going to pick the best bands that draw more tickets and more money. Yep. Um, and corn delivered. I could not believe it. And I was a fan immediately and a little bit scared. I remember thinking, should I run out of here? Because these guys are scaring the shit out of me. <laughs> and at the same time, I'm like, I kind of like it. Yeah. So yeah, uh, corn is a big one. Uh, tool. I think tool came out during this time. Yep. Um, they're a different type of band and the stuff that I listen to, I mean, this is, this is my opinion. This is what I like, but it, it's gotta be completely different, completely unique, something that's not just replicated and stuck on an album and stuck with the record company to push more revenue. And there's a lot of that crap out there. Tool, in my opinion, was not that they were completely different, sounded completely different. The stage, the show in concert was completely different. Uh, so that was a big one. And then the other one is Lincoln Park. Sure. Yeah. Um, to this day, I just love that band. They were different. They were, were they hip hop? Were they rap? Were they rock? Were they metal? <laughs> all, all of the above. Yeah. And they were just, yep. just they were so good. And um, it's unfortunate how that whole thing ended. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I don't know. That's three. And I, I can't even think of anything. Uh, there's other bands that came out during that time. And there's offshoots of this band or that band. Right. They were all, all pretty good. But those are the ones that, to me, had the most impact. Yeah. So how about so any out of format type stuff um, that you might want to mention that you're that you dig? Yeah. Uh, well, you know, I listen to a lot of different stuff that most people probably wouldn't listen to. I think part of that is um, that I play guitar. So at when I play guitar, you know, you can play Black Sabbath riffs all day long, but sometimes you go in different tangents because that stuff is very one dimensional. Yep. And as a good, well, not really a guitar player, but more of a struggling guitar player. Um, as anybody that plays guitar or any instrument, I think you, 
you listen to different things that are outside of your comfort zone. And I actually listen to all kinds of stuff that is not rock and not metal and not any of that. And um, I guess one of them, it sounds kind of dumb, but probably one of my favorite guitar players ever. And there's two of them that are just way high up there. And one of them is Michael Hedges. And so Michael Hedges, um, he died, at, I think, in the 90s, maybe 96, in a car crash, California. But he put out maybe five or six records, uh, something like that, and mostly instrumental. And he, very unique sound. And you could see him on YouTube um, for anybody that doesn't know who he is. But back in that time, probably the 90s, um, or maybe the 2000s, when I was spending a lot of time studying for the CPA exam and all this different stuff for work. Yep. I always had background music on, and I don't even remember how I found this guy, but I used to li listen to Michael Hedges constantly as almost background music to study to. And then one day I said to myself, is it does this guy tour because he's so good i'm like i never hear this guy on tour what the hell is with this guy and i, I googled it and he died he died in the car wreck and i didn't that even you know didn't him. know yeah yeah and oh god that just crushed me i'm like god this guy is so good so i would say michael hedges probably my favorite guitar player of all time um a lot of people copy him um, I try to copy him. Very unique tunings on the guitar, mm -hmm. mostly acoustic. Um, he did all kinds of stuff. He did a lot of cover tunes. There's some live albums out there, but um, he's by far my favorite of all time. Um, another one, which is, this one's funny too, but Christopher Cross. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what it is with Christopher Cross, but... Um, I've seen this guy twice. I've seen him in Fort Collins and I took my daughter, uh, to a concert, I think it was 2019 in Boulder and, um, Christopher Cross, um, everybody knows sailing and stuff like that. Yep. But if you listen to all of his stuff, especially the newer stuff, nobody can play a guitar solo or write a song like that guy. He is the king, and and maybe it's because I play guitar. I don't know, but um, you know, when I listen to a guitar solo, the guitar solo is a story within the song, which is another story. So it's almost a tangent or a side story to the main story. Uh, so it's a different theme, and when I listen to music, I, I can tell right away. And this, again, with art of any kind, it's very uh, personal and it's very opinionated. Yep. Um, but I, I can immediately, within seconds, either like something or hate something. And part of it is the guitar solos or piano or saxophone or whatever it happens to be. Uh, if they do a solo, and I guess it could be vocal as well, 
um, it has to tell a story related to the main theme. And if they can't connect those together, to me, it drives me nuts because it, it sounds just like a really bad, uh, it's almost like a, a, a book that you can't finish. Right, yeah, yeah. Which is most of them. Yeah. You think it's good and the cover's cool and you start reading it and you can't get through chapter two. Yeah. Um, that's how I hear uh, music. So if they can't play the guitar solo or whatever solo it happens to be, it's just out. And that's most music today, in my opinion. But Christopher Cross, uh, say what you want. You know, he, I think the guy won like five Grammys back in the 80s or whatever. But if you listen to his current stuff, nobody plays guitar like that guy. And I've seen it up close, front row, which, you know, in Boulder, at, at the Boulder yep. Theater. There, I don't know how many <laughs> seats are in that, probably right. about 100 or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, that guy's legit. That guy can play circles around most people. And he's good friends. He lives in Austin. He's good friends with Eric Johnson, who is another sure. just great guitar player. But some of this stuff, you almost have to be like a struggling guitar player to uh, worship that kind of stuff. <laughs> it's not for everybody. But if you're trying to play guitar and then you hear Eric Johnson or Christopher Cross, you almost want to just give up and just walk away. It's yeah. like, oh, my God. So that's what it's supposed to be. You're right. You know? right. So, yeah. Uh, so that's so we got like the kind of a new age with Michael Hedges, Christopher Cross. I don't know where you put him like easy listening. I don't yeah. know. Uh, the songwriting on that guy is unbelievable. And then to totally take it to a whole nother level in the country scene. And I think this came from my days in uh, Nashville. Sure. Um, George Jones. I, I don't like most new country at all because it sounds like poppy. It's yeah, it's pop rock, pop stuff. rock. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's not really, it's not country how I think of country. Right. Yep. Um, but the old George Jones stuff, and it, it's got to be old, like '80s and uh, before that. That to me is is so good. But a lot of it to me is mood driven. Um, you got to be in the mood to listen to it. And that's with most music or most anything, really. Yeah. Yep. Uh, you know, you have to be in the right frame of mind. You have to be in the right mood. Uh, but any old George Jones is just the best. Um, Michael Hedges, I could pretty much take any time. And Christopher Cross, I have to be in the mellow mood. Um, you know, I think of this stuff like when I go on a long run. And for me, a long run is not my brother long run <laughs> not, not 50 miles yeah not not 50 miles more like six <laughs> so to me that'd be a long run yeah but that would be christopher cross run yeah that, that's how i'd listen to it um you know it's five figure death punch if it's three miles it's christopher cross if it's seven miles yep and that's exactly how my playlist is set up on my headphones yeah so, Nice. So, so there's three that are totally out of format for you. Yeah. No, that's awesome, Brad. I, I learned, I learned something uh, for sure about you. And I, I mean, how many people, like you said, I mean, Christopher Cross outside of the, the hits, you know, even know he's still putting stuff out today or even know that he's a, you know, 
a guitar, you know, such a good guitar player, probably not very many. (laughs) Yeah. And when you see him in concert, he's just this laid back kind of fat, fat 68 year old guy (laughs) and doesn't really care. Yeah. Yeah. Plays his songs. And a lot of people are missing it because in my mind, he can put the solo together with the song. Yep. That's really hard to do. Um, if you think about all the crap that gets put out uh, in mass, it, oh. it's, it's just junk. It's here today. It's gone tomorrow. Oh yeah. Yep. And some of this Christopher Cross stuff, especially the latest stuff, not, not necessarily the older stuff, but the last two or three records he put out, I can listen to those anytime all day long over and over and over. And I have. So how did you come across? I mean, how did you get into them? Actually you know, like I, that. I'm, I'm not sure. I yeah. think I probably heard it on the radio, like in a car one day. And yeah, I, I think it was sailing. And um, I probably just said, who is this song? I like this song. I've always yep. heard it. Who is yep. it? Who is it? And then just, yeah. And then just did a deep dive. Exactly. Then you start pulling up the catalog and you're like, what is with this guy? And boy, did I miss him? Cause he came came up in the eighties and right. In my my mind, he's as good as it gets. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's a certain genre. It's not for everybody. Sure. I can listen to him all day long and then turn around the next day and listen to five finger death punch and have no problems doing it (laughs) and and apologize to nobody. No one. Yes, definitely. (laughs) Very good. That was, yeah, that was, that was great. All right. So what was your first concert? Which I know, I think I know the answer to this one too. First concert, October, (laughs) 1979 dynasty tour, Omaha civic auditorium kiss. By the way, special guest, John Cougar. <laughs> yeah, all right. John Cougar. Yes. So how do you, I mean, do you even know like how, because Andy talked a little bit about it, you know, on his episode, but of course he was five or six, I guess at the time. So do you have any idea how you even knew that they were coming? Yeah. <laughs> I, I know exactly how this happened. <laughs> So my parents, and I don't think it's ever changed. They still do it to this day, I think. Um, Omaha World Herald newspaper on Sunday had the entertainment section. Of course, you know, kitchen table Sunday morning. I would skip over all the news that mattered and, you know, just go straight to the entertainment because I knew that's where the shows were. Yep. And, you know, you didn't have the internet back then. So... When that thing showed up on Sunday morning, you just grab it and start flipping to the page. <laughs> and just to see, you know, you see all the crap coming and you're like crossing it out with a pencil. And you're like, nope, nope, <laughs> nope. And one day I opened it up and here was this ad. I think I still have it somewhere. Oh, wow. Yeah. And kiss. And I'm like, oh, my God. And remember, I got this for, you know, my seventh or eighth birthday present, rock yeah. and roll. Yeah. I knew damn well who they were. So that thing got cut out. And uh, I don't know how how many months prior to the show they started advertising that. I don't know. Back then, it was short, I think. You know, I mean, nowadays, 
it's a it could be a year out or whatever but back then i don't think it i mean it was a couple months if that yeah really yeah. it seems like that was about right like yeah. a month or two yeah and i remember flipping out grabbing the newspaper cutting it out and just harassing my mom <laughs> um to the point where there's probably like criminal activity going on or something because i would not stop and i'm like this is all i want for my birthday for the next five years this will be my birthday present i mean i was wheeling and dealing left and right just begging her to take me to this yep and keep in mind i was nine at the time yep. and you know i look at my kids now i'm like if they were nine <laughs> pestering me with some ad in the newspaper i would put them in the room <laughs> And I'd probably burn the paper and say, go do homework and yeah. go to your room or something. Yeah. But for some reason, my parents, uh, they took us. <laughs> and I, I'm not sure what happened there. I'm sure I had something to do with it because I just wouldn't stop. And um, that's how I heard of it. But the whole family went, right? <laughs> I, I, I don't think Kevin and Pete went. I think I heard Andy talking about that, but I don't yep. think Pete and Kevin were there. Okay. I could be wrong, but I remember and somehow Andy got roped into it. <laughs> I don't know how that worked. That guy, <laughs> if I was nine, he was like seven. Or yeah. Six something. or seven. Yeah. <laughs> the only reason he knew Kiss was for me, probably sure. blaring my record and <laughs> He was like coloring <laughs> Spider-Man. I don't know what he was doing. Yeah. 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 Andy went. And then my mom and dad, um, I remember driving a van, or not me, but my dad, obviously. Yeah. And I think we got a flat tire somewhere in Omaha. I want to say it was before the show. Um, I, I don't know. To this day, I don't know how my parents... I, I just don't know how they took us. I, and the tickets were probably $8 or yeah. $9. I think, yeah, I think the review said 10 Yeah. So somehow they took us. And I looked this up. This was a Monday night in Omaha. So this is no, this is not like across the street. We had to drive. What was that? Two hours or something? Two and a half hours. Yeah. Two and a half hour drive on a Monday in October. Isn't that school? <laughs> yeah. So we got a school night going on. We got the van. We got the flat tire. My parents want nothing to do with Kiss. And somehow I'm just, you know, sticking my tongue out, you know, singing the Kiss songs. I'm like, we're going. I, I, how did that work? I don't know. I don't know how it worked, but somehow I was there. And somehow we roped Andy into going. I think he was just, I don't know. He was along for the ride. I don't think he knew what was happening. Well, yeah, so I sent you a copy of those reviews. And I mean, those reviews are loaded with talking about kids and parents, you know? I mean, you guys weren't alone. I mean, there were parents, I think all over, you know, all over the country, you know, somehow getting talked into bringing their kids <laughs> to the Dynasty Tour specifically. I mean, that was, that was the pinnacle of them really you know being a kitty band which people you know would call them a, you know at that point a kitty band with all the toys and all the all that stuff i mean I, and i i told you via text my uncle took my cousin uh who was i think a year older 
than than you and Matt. Um, and you know, same type of thing. I mean, how in the world I talk, you know, talk to him now, and he, you know, it's just a funny story to to hear <laughs> how he how they got talked into going from a parent standpoint. So I don't know. Yeah, I, I remember. <laughs> I remember walking into the Civic Auditorium. We were stage left, way up, maybe halfway up the uh, bowl. Yep. On stage left. And I remember a lot of people in makeup that were dressed up like Kiss um, walking around. I remember kids. And I also remember, you know, for us to go to Omaha, which is, you know, not exactly a large metro area but for us it was i mean for me to see the big downtown and the buildings oh yeah i was shell-shocked and i just couldn't believe it and all the people i've never seen anything like that in my life (laughs) and uh just to be part of that show you know i thought it was something unique but you know looking back on it reading the reviews that you sent and stuff like that um i was just one of many people that were that age that's just what you did and you know that goes back to marketing yes was marketing to that crowd we were buying all their crap and um you just had to have it you would order it you'd get the belt buckles you'd get the pants you'd get the backpack you'd get the dolls you know you just order anything you can because you thought it was the coolest thing ever it was the superhero yeah exactly they were coming in real life and I, I just couldn't believe it. I'm like, we have to go see this. Yep. And um, I just remember it being almost surreal. Like we're actually going to see them. You know, that was such a big thing at, at, for a nine-year-old. Yeah. And yeah. I, I was just, just stunned that I was part of it. Yeah. One of the reviews... And again, maybe I'll post these on the on the Facebook page because one of them talked. Well, one of them, the the headline was "Crowd of Children Supply Big Market for Kiss Gimmicks." <laughs> so, I mean, right there, you know, that talks about it. But it talked it talked about you know some t- they were talking to some parent, and the parent was like, "Yeah, you know, I brought my six year old because you know he loves he loves Kiss, but he's having a hard time." Um, distinguishing between the fact that they're real people on the yep. stage versus cartoon characters or, you know, superheroes or whatever, which was, you know, kind of an interesting, uh, an interesting point. And then the other, the one line that I thought was interesting, um, while Kiss caters more to the older half of their crowd in concert, the ones who came most likely to hear the, their music the band must know that the bread and butter of their continued existence lies in the eyes of those in attendance who were not yet born at the start of this decade. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that's an interesting line considering that the Dynasty tour, I mean, after that, uh, you know, everything kind of went downhill. <laughs> For, you know, and then eventually they took the makeup off and, you know, and then, you know, the rest is history but i thought that i thought that paragraph was interesting that they were thinking that you know that this was still ascending and uh you know that the you know the people you know your age and and even younger my age you know we're going to keep the band going well maybe they knew something um that you know because the reunion 15 years later you know we were going back to see it 
Yeah, I think it all comes back to the songwriting. So, you know, Dynasty, now that I can look back with different eyes and different experience, you know, looking back now, Dynasty, in my in my opinion, was kind of the end of it. And they were having all kinds of problems that yep. as a nine-year-old, you don't know any of that. But <laughs> um, then from there, it just kind of went downhill. And, yep. you know, th then they brought it back in the reunion and all that stuff. And the reunion was nothing more than the nine-year-olds becoming adults with money. And they're like, holy crap, they're doing it again. Yes. And I'm in. Yes, exactly. Exactly right. Yeah. So yeah, so that, because uh, again, we can kind of talk a little bit about that that show compared to the shows of the reunion. But so the set list, King of the Nighttime World, Let Me Go, Rock and Roll, Move On, Calling Dr. Love, Firehouse, New York Groove, I Was Made for Loving You, Christine 16, 2000 Man, Love Gun, God of Thunder, Shout It Out Loud, Black Diamond, and then Encore, Detroit Rock City, Beth, and Rock and Roll All Night. So, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, you look at that set list in 79, and there are only, um, there are only two songs off of the first album, for example. You know, there's one song off of Hotter Than Hell. There's one song off of Dress to Kill. Um, you know, those first three albums by that, you know, by this point, you know, they were kind of ignoring that, that, that era of, of the band, which was, which was interesting, actually, you know, the middle those middle three albums had, uh, what, five, six, seven, eight, you know, eight songs. And then Ace's, uh, solo album song, Paul's solo album song, and then two off of dynasty. And there's your set list. So it was, it was kind of later in the career heavy, you know, versus the first three albums. You know, who knows what was going through their heads, but, <laughs> right. um, you know, when I look at dynasty tour in 79 and 80 or whenever it ended, to me, that was more the beginning of the Las Vegas kiss. It, you know, at that point they're checking the boxes. They've got the, the recipe. All they got to do is plug in the records and make some good songs that were okay and continue to cash flow their career. And in the middle of all that, they had the problems with Ace and Peter and everything else. But yep. And then all the changes that came after that. And personally, you know, when I look back at the catalog, uh, I. I pretty much, my favorite KISS stuff is 76 all the way back to the beginning. To me, that was when um, they were first coming out, they were first finding their footing, they were finding their sound, they were finding who they were. And to me, those songs are so strong all the way through maybe Love Gun. Mm -hmm. uh, that was the real KISS, in my opinion. And then after that, um, they became this, you know, quote, overnight success. Yeah. And they're just riding the gravy train after that. And they got it all dialed in. The production became way better. The stage production <laughs> became way bigger, way more expensive. 
Yep. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. But when I listen to this stuff, whether it's, um, you know, Kiss, Black Sabbath, Judas Priest, Rush, whatever, um, I, I always like the original beginnings uh, when they were trying to, you know, become something. To make it. Yeah. Trying make to make it. it. They were hungry. That was That's the real stuff. Yep. Everything after that becomes a business. And uh, they know it very well. They know the formula. And it's not just Kiss. It's any band. Sure. Uh, it's any author writing a fiction book. Yep. It, it's any producer making a movie for Netflix. There's a formula to this stuff. And once they find it, and they find what the culture wants, they deliver it. And they deliver it over and over and over. Yep. But in the early days, those guys were, they didn't have any money, they didn't have anything. <laughs> right. And that yep. to me is is the best material. And to this day, I could listen to any of those records and just freaking love it. Yeah. It's yeah. So good. Yeah, I mean, that era, Brad, that you saw them in was has been deemed a super kiss. That's what, you know, exactly what you said. It's in Vegas. Hell, they were wearing capes for crying out loud. I mean, it was over the top um, and, uh, you know, had really veered off of what, you know, where that where that music came from. It came from the streets of New York City, right? Originally. I mean, that's where all those guys are from. And and it had it had uh, it had changed um, a lot and it. Uh, it couldn't go any. It couldn't go anywhere else. Um, yeah, and, and what's good with Kiss is they know how to adapt to the times. Oh yeah, very well, and you could hear it in their music. The '70s sounded exactly like the '70s. The '80s sounded exactly <laughs> like the '80s, and, and even '79, '80 sounded a little disco, disco-y like and poppy. Yeah. Oh yep. yeah, definitely. Yep. And and you know damn well what was happening. Gene Simmons is like, oh, so this is selling. Okay. Yeah. Let's write this. Yep. And I was made for loving you. I yep. mean, come on. That's huge. Exactly. Yeah. Huge hit. And great yeah. song. And that's, yep. it sounded like that time. Exactly. And then, you know, you go on later to um, what the 90s, you know, the grunge rock stuff. And suddenly Kiss was grunge. <laughs> right. And they, they mimicked the culture and yep. they figured it out and they're playing the formula. And, yep. I salute him for that because yeah. it, it works. The it stuff does. is great. Yep. Yep. Agreed. Agreed. All right. Let's wrap up these last two questions. Um, so what was your most recent concert, which is of course an interesting question <laughs> in the, in the uh, days that we're living in right now, but do you, what, what was the last thing you saw? The last concert I attended <laughs> um, was probably three or four months ago. If you could believe that. Um, it was Red Rocks. Okay. Yep. And it was the Colorado Symphony. You sent us some video, I think, that you were at Red Rocks for yeah. that. I think you sent that to us. Yeah. And that was great. They probably, nice. you know, it wasn't a full orchestra or any of that, but, yep. you know, they had the main pieces there and they had the social distancing. And yep. I don't know, there was probably a hundred people at Red Rocks. And, yep. and we sat there under the stars and watched the Colorado Symphony play Vivaldi Four Seasons. Awesome, so, yeah. Yeah, that was that was probably the last one. The last one that was like an actual concert in a venue was probably Christopher Cross in Boulder. 
but that was like 2019. 19. Yeah. Okay. I gotcha. I gotcha. All right. And then what is a, what is your desert Island album? <laughs> oh God. I hate this question. <laughs> well, I've, I've received all kinds of different answers from you guys, which has been, which has been, you know, people answering the question, Ullman refusing to answer the question. <laughs> My brother, you know, making up that there's a mailbox there so he could order stuff from Columbia House or whatever. It was all over the board. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I'm assuming you're stuck on the desert island and you can't go anywhere and you can't do anything, right? Correct, yes. Okay. Well, I think I heard somebody, one of these guys, say Diary of a Madman. Um that I think Jay and Craig both did, I think. Yeah, I, I I would put that right up there. But <laughs> another one that I would put right alongside it, um, and if I could only pick one, I would probably pick this one. And the, the only reason I'm picking this one is because I've heard Diary of a Madman probably <laughs> two billion times. Yeah. And I have it in my head, so I don't need it. Right. Um, but I would pick... Michael Hedges Taproot and Taproot was the first record I ever purchased to Michael Hedges and that goes back to that guitar player that nobody probably knows yep um it's instrumental the whole thing and that would carry me into old age no problem and I can listen to it every day and as a matter of fact I don't listen to it every day but I could yeah and I listen to it a lot so nice yeah, if there was something tracking, like what what tracks or what records do you listen to the most, um, that one would have to be right up there with Diary of a Madman. And um, and he's got some other good stuff too, but that was the first one I purchased. So it's like the first time of everything. You, you just remember that. Yeah, definitely. And, um, it's just unbelievable. So yeah, yeah that, that would be one of them. Nice, nice. Well, that was awesome, Brad. I learned. I, I mean, I knew some of that stuff, but it, some of it I did not know. So, um, very, uh, very interesting uh, answers to some of those questions. So, very good. All right. So now let's discuss these two reunion shows that we've been talking about. So again, I saw them, Auburn Hills, Michigan, October sixteenth, ninety six, at the Palace of Auburn Hills. And then Brad and I saw them different nights in Omaha, October 23rd and October 24th of 96. So here's the set list in Auburn Hills, Michigan. And the only difference is the first song and the first song of the encore. And again, they're just, they're flip-flopped. So in Auburn Hills, we got Detroit Rock City, King of the Nighttime World, Do You Love Me, Calling Dr. Love, Cold Gin, Watching You, Firehouse, I Stole Your Love, Shock Me, Let Me Go Rock and Roll, Shout It Out Loud, Take Me, God of Thunder, New York Groove, Love Gun, 100,000 Years, Black Diamond, and then Encore, Deuce, Beth, and Rock and Roll All Night. And then the Omaha show started with deuce and then the encore started with detroit rock city so breakdown of the albums on on those so six songs from the first album one song from hotter than hell two songs from dress to kill 
six songs from Destroyer, one song Rock and Roll Over, three songs from Love Gun, one song from uh, Ace Fraley's solo album. Yeah, zero songs from everything, everything else up through uh, Unmasked. So, you know, so Brad, I mean, do you remember it getting announced? You know, do you kind of remember that stuff? I think you and Andy were living together, weren't you, at the time in Omaha? Yeah, I think so. Um, I don't remember the announcement specifically, but, um, you know, when I'm, when I'm looking over the set list that you just went through, uh, that's nothing more than giving the fans what they want to hear. Exactly. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> and that hits, that hits all the buttons right there. <laughs> now that, so that Auburn Hills, Michigan show that I saw again, Detroit rock city, let it off, which was kind of cool, obviously to have them play that. Uh, I'm surprised they didn't play that at the tiger stadium show to kick it off, but they, they started with deuce at that show. But the two uh, Auburn Hills shows, they played Detroit Rock City first. Um, I Stole Your Love, um, you know, was was in there. Take Me, I think, was was played the first time there. And they only played it for a couple of weeks, I think, on that tour, which was which was kind of unique um, as well. But, yeah, I mean, it, uh, you know, when you got six songs from uh, the first album and six songs from Destroyer. <laughs> Those are the those are the two albums that were, um, you know, most heavily drawn from. You know, looking at this list, um, when you saw them on the 16th, and then uh, we saw them in Omaha, not quite ten days later. Right. Uh, you know, if you look at the opening song, and for me, Kiss is all about the opening. Nobody can open a show better than or yeah. nobody is as good as Kiss, <laughs> and. The opening is everything. It's the first chapter in a book. It's it's the first act in a play. It's the first 10 minutes of a Netflix show. Yeah, right. And you know, you look at you look at these songs, Detroit Rock City, or Deuce, or sometimes you'll see I Stole Your Love, I I think. Yeah, they oh yeah, they did that back in the day for sure. Well, and then Brad, you got King of the Nighttime World. <laughs> Yeah. That dynasty. I mean, that to me, that's that's about the most out of left field. I mean, I love it, but that is the most out of left field, especially for that era, even you know, super kiss. And what do they do? They pull out <laughs> kind of a kind of a deep cut that I love, but I, it yeah, that was a little surprising. Um, on yeah. that intro song, but yeah, and the, the intro for kiss, what. What's interesting is their intros are so good. To this day, I'll go watch YouTube intros. And I don't care if it's like backstage showing them walk to the to the stage. And then you see the background footage of what, you know, is behind the scenes. Yep. I'll watch that stuff all day long. Yeah. And um, it's just the best. And, you know, back in 79, when I saw them, uh, from what I remember, they came out and they came up from the stage and they all stood there <laughs> with their hands in the air and everybody was going crazy. And, and then they just walked back and got their instruments and started playing. Yeah. Yeah. Which it was very different from what they do today. Yeah. And, right. And even, and even prior to that, you know, yeah. they didn't, they didn't do that in 76 and 75. 
No, they so, came out and started playing. I mean, this was, yeah, this was, hey, look at look at us. We're just standing here and the crowd is going crazy, yeah. right? Yeah, so <laughs> I'm kind of bummed that I missed, you know, if you go back and, and watch videos of, set, you know, 1975 and 1976 and, and probably 77. Yep. Um, they come out in, uh, and they're up. And they usually come down the yeah. stairs. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know what happened or why they changed that, but that that's like the best. And, you know, you look back at those videos and you see Gene and Paul coming down on these big boots and they're, they're kind of running. They're down running. The yeah. <laughs> and it's like, Whoa, dude, what are you doing? Yeah. I'm not sure they could do that today, but you know, at age 69 yeah. and 70 or whatever. No, they are. Right. Right. Yeah. But, but back then, if you watch those videos and they come screaming down the stairs, um, back, you know, down to the level of the crowd, yep. you know, coming from the heavens down, that, that was unbelievable. But for some reason, 79, they just, they came up from the stage and they just stood there and then they just yeah. came down and started and, playing. Right. Yeah. So king of the nighttime world. And, you know, I didn't care at nine, but. Yep. Now that I could compare and contrast the differences, I'm kind of bummed that I didn't see the whole staircase thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, you know, the fact that, so Holly and I went to the, this Auburn Hills, Michigan show um, again, I wanted to see them in Detroit, uh, you know, again, in an arena versus the, the 40,000 seat tiger stadium. Just, uh, so I went to that show and then I can remember the Omaha shows getting announced. And Matt was like, Hey, you know, I, I, I want to go to one of them. And I said, well, I'll come out. So, I mean, I flew out there on a Wednesday <laughs> to, to go and then spent the rest of the week. And I think we went to a Nebraska football game that Saturday and I flew back on, on Sunday, but what, um, did Pete go with you or did you know, yeah, Pete was there, but not I, with you, maybe. I don't think we went together. Yeah, okay. Um, but I remember him going with some of his friends. I think. Gotcha. And we were all on the floor, you know, pretty close. Um, I can't remember exactly where, but we were more towards the front than back. Yeah, I mean, it was and, it was GA, it was GA, GA. which is yeah. uh, just blows me away that it still was. I mean, Matt and I on that Wednesday night show, we were like right in front of the soundboard. I want to say is kind of just where we hung out, um, for it, got a good, you know, great view obviously of everything. And, and I remember the one thing I remember Matt saying, and maybe it was afterwards. He's like, I don't know if I've ever seen a stage this big <laughs> in the civic. I mean, you know, again, the civic old school, right. Built in the fifties, low ceiling, you know, and that, that stage was, was pretty, was pretty big and was, was, yeah, I'm sure was, uh, was bumping up against the ceiling in there. But I, I remember him saying that to me. Um, yeah. Yeah. Those arenas that were built back then, <laughs> especially in the South and the Southeast. Yeah. Uh, I've been to a lot of those too. And yep. they are not built for this. <laughs> They're built for ice hockey and basketball and stuff like that. But right. Yeah. Somehow the, the riggers and the crew put that stage in there and made it happen. Yep. So, so Brad, what was your overall impression? 
You know, I mean, it's, it's interesting, almost right. October 8th of 79 and then October 24th. So, I mean, almost 17 years to the day, you know, the difference between seeing them, you know, what was your, when they came out, do you, you know, what was your thought? Well, you know, when you go to something like that and it's almost like having a recurring dream uh, (laughs) years later, right. you know, you remember the first time and you're a kid. So it's a little foggy and you're like, did I, did I really see them? Like, was that really them? Right. It was so overwhelming, uh, you know, for a nine-year-old. But to get a chance to see it again with the full makeup, the full stage, the full everything um, with different lenses, you know, because now, you know, now I was, what was I, 26? Um, yeah, 26 probably, right? Yeah, 20. Yeah. Is that 26? Yeah. I think a totally different perspective. Sure. At, at this point, you know, Kiss, you're like, okay, yeah, I get it. Okay, back then I was nine, but now I'm an adult and I understand what's going on. And um, it, it's a different perspective, but it also brought back the memories of like, holy crap, this is what I remember. And it's like, recurring the dream you know it's like there it is again this is really them and they're really coming out and they're real people and they're really doing this and they delivered the goods i mean god (laughs) those people and you know the stage and the the crew and you know that those stages that they put on and still to this day they put on those are you know millions of dollars i'm sure yeah yeah it's not free and good God, it, it was just amazing to see it as an adult. It almost solidified. Okay. This is real. I did see them. They're real people. It was real. It wasn't a dream. And, um, it, yep. They do still kick ass and, yep. and it, it was as good as it gets. I mean, yep. those guys, they can put on a show and even Pete, uh, my brother, <laughs> Who's probably not the biggest Kiss fan? He was freaking there jamming. Yeah, yeah. And, you know that's just a testament to what these people can do. And yep. You know you hear you hear all the people saying, "Well, you know their songs are simple, they're dumb, you know they're too blah blah blah." It's like, well, you know Pete's sitting there after paying eighty bucks, <laughs> jamming, having a great time, and that's exactly what Kiss. That's uh, what they're all about. That's yeah. what they wanted to accomplish in a work. Yeah. Yeah. So. I mean, I think the co- coolest thing for you is that you saw it in the same venue, even, <laughs> you know, that you saw it in 17 yeah. years before that, that, I mean, that, again, that had to have been surreal. And actually my cousin who I had talked about, he was there, he was there. I think the night that, that Matt and I were there, you know, with some buddies and we actually ran into him afterwards and, um, you know, he probably had the same experience that you did, <laughs> you know, seeing them in 79 and in the same place and then, and then seeing, seeing them again. And, uh, with, like you said, with, with totally different lenses on, um, um yeah. and the different perspective, you know, yeah. we're, we were probably, I don't know, maybe 20 rows back. Sure. Remission, somewhere <laughs> in there. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I'm looking up to my right, um, on stage left and that's where i was as a nine-year-old and just freaked out 
couldn't believe that that was really Kiss. That they were really there, really playing. Yep. And here I am, years later, on the floor listening to the same, same stuff, same show, kind of. Yep. Yep. You know, the fire, the blood, the whole thing. I'm like, oh my god, this yep. is it's just the best. Now, do you, do you, here's a question. Was that your last show at the Civic? Wow. That's I, a good question. You know, I just thought of that. Actually, I think that was my, I don't think that was the last time I was in the Civic because I think when I came back to visit Matt, we went to a, you know, they had a, I think they had a minor league hockey team in there or something. So I may have been in there before they shut it down, but I think that was for sure the last, I think that was the last concert I saw in there. You know, it could have been. Yeah. Um, yeah, if you think about it, if that was my last show, then that, that means that was my first concert. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Last concert at the Civic. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Awesome. Yeah, definitely. So now on to the band on the bill spotlight. So we're going to take a an interesting dive look at Kiss Alive and Kiss Alive 2. We're going to talk about which one we prefer. And then we're going to go, and I think it'd be easier probably to go, you know, by side and just kind of say, hey, do we do we prefer the live versions of these songs over the studio versions? You know, are there any um, songs that we prefer the studios over the live or vice versa? Uh, I think that would be, I think that would be interesting. So, so Brad, I guess maybe just real quick, you know, what's your, your memory of a live and a live two maybe when you got them and your if you can remember and then which one, well, I guess maybe we can start just which one do you prefer out of those two? Well, I think I remember getting kiss alive too. Um, I'm not sure why I remember getting that first, but it seems like I had that one. Um, and probably because Kmart or, you know, some Richmond Gordman or whatever, right. <laughs> wherever you bought <laughs> records at the time uh maybe that's all they had i don't know but um both great records and you know i went back and listened to both of these and i gotta tell you kiss alive is the one and i i feel bad that it's very thin sounding um it could be a lot more punchy, almost like if you listen to Kiss Alive 3. Kiss Alive 3 really had that punch. That Production was just, wise, yeah, yeah. God. Um, but if Kiss Alive had that, um, and it just didn't, but that was the time back then. Sure, yep. Um, but, you know, con compare and contrasting, I would go with Kiss Alive by, by a slim margin, but... That was when they were raw. That was when they were coming up. That was, you know, if you look at the artwork or just the picture on Kiss Live, the, the cover photo, if you look at each character on Kiss Alive, Gene, Ace, Peter, Paul, if you look at them, how they're standing and what they're doing, that defines Kiss. And that that to me says kiss and kiss alive Two was like okay we kick ass and we're the greatest band in the world and you know here's some more pictures and there's nothing wrong with that i'm not trying to diss it but yeah yep 
just the photo of Kiss Alive. It, I mean, who didn't have that album? Right, right. You know, maybe three people over the age of 80. Other than that, I think everybody <laughs> had it. Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, you open it up and Kobo Hall was there. Yeah. Right? Yep. You know, the picture of Kobo. So, uh, yep. Yep. I don't know. To me, that's that's as legit as it gets. Yeah. You know, and it's it's actually... It's it's simple for me as well, and it, and alive is the is the right answer. I'm more of a second trilogy guy. I'm more of a destroyer, rock and roll over love gun. That's kind of my kiss, which is obviously represented on alive too. But I think alive improved on the songs from the first three albums because those first three albums, the production's not great. <laughs> I mean, the production's not good on Hotter Than Hell. Production's pretty thin on the first album. Dress to Kill, I think, sounds better. But I think the songs from those albums that are on Alive sound better on Alive. And I go to Alive to listen to those songs. Yeah, I, ju- I just do. And again, we'll get into that a little bit when we talk about if we you know, prefer the live or studio versions of these songs. Um, but I, I, you know, I think the production on destroyer through love gun was good enough and that's the stuff i remember i didn't get i got a live two actually i bought the <laughs> there when you bought a live two on cassette you got two cassettes <laughs> which was kind of <laughs> funny but i can remember buying that i feel like I, I bought it in omaha we were in omaha for some reason and my dad put it on and i laid down in the back of our suburban so i could put my head to the speakers and he put the sound to the back and I listened to it on the way home, but I didn't get, that was probably in the early eighties maybe, but I didn't hear alive until 1985. Maybe I, I prefer the fact too, that alive is really a snapshot of the concert at that time alive too. Um, you know, wasn't really the set list. Hell, there's songs that they included in Alive 2 that weren't even played live. There's a couple of songs that they just did either in the studio or at a sound check or, or, or something to that effect. So I think Alive is a better representation of the band, you know, playing live at that particular time. So uh, I would agree with you. I think Alive is better than Alive 2. So if we get into like the, the track listing, so, um, you know, so Kiss Alive, Brad, Side One, Deuce, Strutter, Got to Choose, Hotter Than Hell, Firehouse. Um, you know, is there anything out of those five where you would gravitate to the studio version? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> uh, you know, one of my top favorite kiss songs of all time is got to choose and i I like the live version but the reason i'm going to go with the studio version is you could really hear the harmonies and the harmonies are so good and a lot of i think a lot of people overlook this but you know i would I, i wish there was video of them making the record and Maybe there is, I don't know, but I haven't found it. But, you know, back then, if, if you go listen to that 
got to choose like what record was that on was that the so hotter one? hotter than hell yeah so that was early 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 technology was not that great <laughs> the budgets were not that great these guys were not kiss like you know them today and that song to this day is got to be top five kiss songs it's just so good and i love the live version but I'm going to go with studio on that one. On that just, one? Yeah. Just because you could hear the harmonies better. You got to put the headphones on. You got to turn the lights <laughs> out. Right. And you got to crank it up and listen to it for real and proactively listen to it, not background listen, but you yep. got to listen to it. Yep. And th that's, to me, that's, you know, when I look at this stuff early on, Kiss, they were my Beatles. And I know they were influenced by the Beatles, and you could really hear it in these in early, that. Yeah. early yeah. records. Oh, my God. So, yep. yeah, I got to choose studio. Um, but when you come to Deuce, uh, Deuce has got to be live. Yes, it does. I agree. And there's certain Kiss songs that they're just required to be live. <laughs> <laughs> they, were, they were written to be played live. They yep. just were. Yeah. They were, and they work live. Yep. And Deuce is definitely one of them. <laughs> so, yeah. So, on that first side, I've got everything live except for Hotter Than Hell. And this is this is kind of funny. The, the reasoning is kind of funny. But if you think back, so during the studio version, right before kind of the breakdown and the outro of that song, there's a big gong hit from Peter yeah. Chris, right? The yeah. live version, it's this wimpy little symbol that he hits because <laughs> there's no, he doesn't have a gong. Behind him. And I, I'm like, you know, that just sounds that just that has no balls to it at all i mean that's that's so so specific but that's the only reason that i would choose the studio version of the song hotter than hell everything else on there i mean firehouse the tempo is way better live got to choose i think the i think the tempo is it's a little more up tempo um and then strutter and deuce obviously live i think trump the the studio versions so yeah, and what's funny is Kiss, you know, when you listen to these live records and compare them to the recording studios, um, they play way faster. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that's pretty common. Yep. And I don't know why, probably the energy and the volume and the crowd and everything else, but uh, I remember playing faster you know, <laughs> in front of a crowd. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You almost have to think about it to slow it down. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes Ozzy and Black Sabbath, they can figure out how to slow it down. They live. do. They agreed. Yes, they and do. I, I don't know how they do that, but Kiss does not do that. No, they, they, they speed it up a lot. Yep. And so if, if you look at Come On and Love Me. Yeah. So, yeah. That's a great one. If you listen to the studio version of that and then you contrast that with the live version at a very different tempo. Yes. Uh, it's almost a different song. You know, that one, another one, it's a great song, probably one of my top five again. And live, it's got to be live. 
and it's got to be fast. It's almost like they should have played it faster. Yeah. You know, you hear this stuff live and it's like, okay, that's how it should be done. And then you go listen to the record and you're like, oh no, now it's too slow. Right. Yeah. I mean, those, those first three albums, some of the songs sound neutered almost if they're not live, you know, there's something, there's something missing. Um, Come on and love me. You bring that up. That's interesting. Cause again, I, I had dressed to kill on eight track early, you know, late, late seventies. And so that, that version is ingrained in my, in my memory, but just like you said, the live version has more, it's just faster. It's got more balls to it. Um, I mean, the hell, there's an acoustic, we'll talk a little bit about Dress to Kill, but there's an underlying acoustic <laughs> guitar, right? In the studio yeah. version of Come On and Love Me. Um, I, and, I, wonder, I wonder if that was just confidence. You know, I, they're, they're in the studio for the first time, they're young, they don't have any money, and they're probably getting told what to do by some guy in there and they're just kind of doing it and they're kind you know they're trying to do the right thing and trying to figure it out but yeah when they go when they go live and you got you know a couple thousand people out there or whatever it was back in the day that's different oh and yeah the whole energy changes and you could to- you could feel it i mean the goosebumps on my arms to this day the hairs stand up yeah. on my arms it, and you know and i've heard i've heard this stuff for i don't know how many years right it's still the same so there is a difference and yeah yeah if i wish they would go back and re-record some of this stuff yeah right like today's technology and you know just the distortion of the marshall amps and all the effects and everything <laughs> yeah. it's yeah. so it's so different if you listen to tracks from kiss alive and kiss alive three yeah uh, uh, maybe deuce or whatever songs they played on both of those records yeah yeah unbelievable yeah oh yeah yeah. So what about Nothing to Lose, Parasite, She? I mean, are you live or studio on those? You know, on Parasite, I'm going to go with studio. Me too, actually. Yep. Yeah. And the only reason I'm saying that is, and Parasite is another one. I mean, we're hitting all my favorite. <laughs> and that was that written by Ace, by the way? It was. Oh, yeah. Solely. Solely. Yeah. Yep. Good God, that guy can write some songs. Yeah. So Parasite, if you listen to the studio version, it's got a little bit of an echo on the guitar. And, um, you know, back then, maybe that was a thing. I don't know. But it's almost like when they play it live, it's fast again. And that's a hard song to play fast. And it's, it's muddied a little bit. Yep. It's good. I'm not complaining about it at all, but... The studio version is a little cleaner and you can hear it more and it's more of a of a Led Zeppelin punchy yeah. uh, rhythm to it. And it just sounds great in the studio. And that's a really hard song to play live, for me anyway. I mean, yeah. when I try to play that, it's just, <laughs> and they play it faster live. Right. And it, it's just when you're doing the triplets in the beginning, you know, the, the yep. main there. Um, that, that's a tough one to, yep. to sound to sound clean and crisp and punchy like it should be on the record. So I would go studio on that one. Yeah, and actually I had she studio, um, and I think just because I think the production I think thought the production on 
And again, we'll talk more about Dress to Kill later, but the, the production on some of the songs on there are, it seemed punchier. And I thought she just sounds heavy. It just sounds heavier almost in the studio version to me, at least. So yeah. I, I went with she also in the studio. I agree with that. And I think part of that is they have a lot of the tracks that they could record. So you got the guitars that were doubled and tripled. Yes, yes, and, exactly. And the production there just made it. I mean, that's a great song to begin with. Yep. And <laughs> and live is good. And that is so Gene Simmons. Oh, yeah. God, it's a great song. Yeah. I'm with you with studio and she. Yep. So then side three, watching you, 100,000 years and Black Diamond. You know, <laughs> oh, God. I hate these questions. I'm going to go Black Diamond. To me, Black Diamond is live kiss. Yep. And if that's like the end of the kiss concert. Yep. And they finish with that a lot. You know, it's coming and it's it's long and it's good. And you just you're expecting it. You know what it's going to be. So to me, that's more of a live song. Um, it's it's good on the record, but you know sometimes these records, when you hear long songs, you 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 start dozing off and spacing off into something right, else. Right, you, you lose it. But when you're there, in the moment, in the live, yes, concert venue, and it's going on, you can't do that. And so you're there, and you're in the moment, and you're hearing it, and. To me, that's that's live kiss. So I would definitely do Black Diamond live. Um, watching you, hundred thousand years. Was that the other ones you're talking yep. about? Yep. Yeah. Oh God. Um, I, I would probably. I'm good with both of those live. Yeah. Um, yep. I think watching you for sure. Again, I. You know, Hotter Than Hell's production is so brutal to me. I just, it's so muddy. Um, I, you know, I prefer a lot of the Hotter Than Hell stuff, except for the title track, as I mentioned. But, and then I, <laughs> 100,000 years, I said studio, because while Peter's drum solo is awesome, it goes on and on and on. You remember how, I mean, it's so long on there. <laughs> It's awesome, but it's long. And of course, Paul's, class, you know, iconic banter. And I mean, that would be the only reason to go with the studio version of 100,000 Years, just because you're not dealing with a 10-minute track. <laughs> yeah, that's when the rest of the band is backstage, you know, having a snack, going to the bathroom, yep. retuning their guitars. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, and, and 100,000 Years, you know, that's a great song live, but I agree. They they should cut all the crap out and just keep it at three minutes and 50 seconds. Yeah, yeah. The, it's I mean, it's just, it's so played out with all that stuff, and they think they have to continue to do that, and it's like, you know, you really don't. You don't need to do it during that song specifically. So, And then the last side of this album, so Rock Bottom, Cold Gin, Rock and roll night and let me go rock and roll. Um, what are your thoughts on those? Cold gin has to be live. Absolutely. If that if there's a bigger, I don't think there's a bigger example of that. <laughs> Actually, comparing the live version 
to the studio version. I don't think it's even close. But yeah, Cold Gin is so, you know, it's it's what it should sound like. It's so slow on the studio version. You know, it, it, I don't know. It just, the tempo-wise, I think that's probably the biggest, I think that's the biggest one that needs to be live. And, you know, I think part of it for me is I've seen so many YouTube videos of Cold Gin. <laughs> it, it just has to be live. Yes. Because you know the moves that Gene's going to make with his arms, and you know how he's going to sing it. Yep. It, everybody knows it. Yep. And that's how I just hear it in my head. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Rock bottom. Um, yeah, that's, I like that in the studio. Um, I do too, actually. Yeah, I would go studio on that one just because that sounds so good. Yeah. And um, it's all right live, but I'll take that in the studio. What's left? Rock and roll all night? Yep. And let me go rock and roll. Yeah, rock and roll all night. Whatever. I, I think the, the, the one thing on that is the, the live version has a guitar solo. The studio version does not. So I think the answer is is live. Um, at least in my book, it is strictly because of that. Yeah. <laughs> There's no solo. I'll, I'll go with that. But that's the most overplayed Kiss song ever. Yes. And yep. that's probably the one I listen to the least. <laughs> the least, Yes. And that's one like my mom would know. Right, right. She, Brad, she was probably standing up clapping to that at the show in 79. Probably. Yeah. I, I think yeah. she still is. <laughs> probably has it downloaded on her phone. So here's a question. What is your opinion of Let Me Go Rock and Roll? Um, It's not my favorite. It's not mine either. It just isn't. <laughs> I don't know. It's kind of a, and I've talked about this on the, on multiple episodes, it's too 50s rock and roll sounding. Exactly. I, you know, I, I don't I don't dislike 50s rock and roll, but I want I don't want my hard rock band from the 70s doing that. I just don't. <laughs> yeah, like I can see Chuck Berry playing. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. They, he could totally do it. He yeah. would he would nail it. He would and it's it's a good song, but you're right. I mean when I think of Kiss, I'm thinking, you know, come on and love me, got to cheese, got to thunder, um, shock me. And yeah. let me go rock and roll. It's it's not bad, but yeah. Yeah, exactly. That would, be, that would be on a B side for me. That that's my my thoughts exactly. So good, yeah, that's so that's alive. So alive two. So side one, Detroit Rock City, King of the Nighttime World, Ladies Room. Making love and love gun. Jesus. <laughs> well, Detroit Rock City has to be live. Um, the studio version was good. It was so classic with the, the radio in the background and the whole <laughs> car crash and all yep. that. Everybody knows that. However, how do you not hear that as the opening song? Of a show, yeah. Yep. I mean, I can see it clear as day that they're coming down the staircase playing Detroit Rock City, and that's just the way it's going to be. Yep. So I would go live on that one. King of the Nighttime World. I love the recording in the studio on that one. Great song. I freaking love it. Um, yep. But I'm going with live on that one. Okay. 
Yep. That one to me, um, that's, I see Paul living out his dream on that one and he's the king of the nighttime world. And he was, yeah, oh, yeah. still is. Yep. Um, so I'm going live on that one. Ladies room. I might go studio on that one. Uh, was that dressed to kill? So that's, that's rock and roll over actually. Okay. So I, you're thinking of, you're thinking of ladies and waiting. Oh so, yeah. Yeah. You're so right. ladies room rock and roll over. Oh, that's a tough one. That to me sounds like vintage Kiss that should be on a on a studio. That's a, you know that's a great yeah that's a great point. Again I yeah I, I haven't been giving my my comments on any of these, but um, to me yeah that ladies room almost sounds like a song that should be on the first three records. Yes, uh, right. You know, and so to me it's like the 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 live version just to me has more balls to it and it does i mean you know but it, yeah it depends on kind of where what era do you does that song really need to live in <laughs> yeah so, ladies room for me should be pre-75 yeah it, it does it sounds like a song that hell gene may have written that thing back in the day and it just didn't make anything until that album so yeah that's i don't know I, I would do studio on that. Okay. Make um, love. God, that's another good one. <laughs> I would do live on that one. That one's got the groove. It's got the, the fast-paced guitar riff. Um, it seems like that one should be live. And the the studio version sounds live to me. It you're Exactly. With all the delay on Paul's voice during that yep. song. Yeah, it's it does. It sounds like it's live. And then Love Gun. Love Gun. This is one of those songs. This has to be live and it has, this is required to be played in front of 10,000 plus. And it's so good. That riff is unbelievable. It's simple. Yep. And punchy as hell. And everybody knows it. And Paul knows that everybody knows it. And when he plays that song live, I mean, come on. Yeah. That, that's a live song in my yeah. head. Yep. Yep. So, yeah. So Destroyer was my first album. And so the studio versions of these songs, I mean, I know them. I know them like the back of my hand. So I, I, I automatically kind of default to those studio versions just because, again, the production, they're so over the top. Um, and it, it, again, I was six or whatever when I was listening to that for the first time. <laughs> so studio probably for those I'm, I'm going live on ladies room just because it's punchier. It's, it's heavier, um, on those, your, your comment of making love, the studio version almost sounds live. I agree. I, and I, again, I'm such a sucker for delay on a vocal and it's so prominent on the studio version. Um, I'd go studio there. Love Gun. Um, you know, the version on Alive 2, it almost sounds... I, I agree with you 100% that, I mean, that, that song needs to be played live, but the Alive 2 version, it almost sounds... I don't know. It almost doesn't sound 
as good as some of the other stuff production wise. So I, you know, I may default to the, to the studio version on it, but just a classic, classic song. Um, so side two, Calling Dr. Love, Christine 16, Shock Me. And then as I was kind of talking about, so Hard Luck Woman and Tomorrow and Tonight, while they were on here, <laughs> I don't think they were played. I don't think they were actually played live, um, but they were added to this. So what do you think of side two? Yeah, Calling Dr. Love, I, a quick story. I can remember calling the radio station and demanding they play that song because that used to be on the radio oh yeah it was yeah yeah oh yeah and like i'd like to make a request <laughs> sure what would you like to hear calling dr <laughs> love for god's sake i haven't heard it play it <laughs> so what do you think though live or studio the live version is faster it's faster, but you know what? I kind of like the studio version. It, the studio version, yeah. Ace's solo on that is just amazing. Agreed. So good. Christine 16, I would go studio on this one. I, You know, and I would go studio because live you lose the piano. Yep. And I think the piano, right, it, 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 adds, uh, it adds so much to that song. So I agree. Shock me. I think that one I would turn to live. Agreed. Um, His guitar solo, man, jeez, on a live too is amazing. And then Hard Luck Woman and Tomorrow and Tonight, like I said, those were, I don't know what to do with those songs because they weren't uh, they weren't performed really on that tour. They threw them on there because they didn't want to repeat songs basically from a live. So, yep, I would say um, those are good commercial songs but probably not my favorite i mean tomorrow and tonight on a live two during the chorus you can hear five paul stanley's So, you know, I don't know. It just, I, I guess I would go with the studio on both of those songs because I, you know, I don't think the live is actually, well, you got to put quotes around everything with Kiss. It does, everything doesn't, see, you know, is not as it seems, you know, with them. So um, those were, yeah. I think, done in the studio. So, yeah. And tomorrow and tonight is so poppy and so, <laughs> so not Kiss. Trying to, while well, they were trying to, right, trying to do rock and roll all night again, or whatever, trying to recreate yeah. that, and they, they didn't succeed. So yeah, it's just hard to reconcile like Parasite and then Tomorrow. And <laughs> it's like a totally different band, a totally different vibe. Yep. Um, it, you know, I don't know, not not a terrible song. It's just not for me. Yep. And then side three. So I stole your love. Beth, God of Thunder, I Want You, and Shout It Out Loud. God, I love I Stole Your Love. <laughs> God, I love that song. That song is so good, and that's another one that's required to be played live. <laughs> 10,000 plus. <laughs> yep. it's, it's so good, and it's so simple, 
that's the perfect live song. I'd go live on that one for sure. Um, Beth, and this probably goes back to 79, but I'm going to go live on this one. Yep. Now, the recording version, uh, or the recorded studio version, was very produced, and it's got the piano and the keyboards. And Orchestra all and all that, yeah. 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 Yeah, and that's fine, but, you know, when I hear Beth in my head, when the piano and the, you know, the intro starts up in that song, I hear the crowd going crazy. Yes, it exactly. Yep. Right when, right when it starts, <laughs> yeah. that's the encore song, and here they come. And here comes Peter sitting on the little stool. And to me, I hear that as a live song. Yeah. So I'm going live on that one. Yeah, that's that's so funny that you mentioned that on that on a live too. As soon as the piano starts, you could just hear the girls screaming. I mean, it's their version of the Beatles, you know, yeah. on on Sullivan. I mean, just that that just immediately. Yeah. Yep. I would I would go with uh, with live on that too. And that's probably the engineer doing post-production <laughs> and just crank, cranking the studio or the crowd noise. Crowd noise, yeah, yeah. But, but I don't. That's what I hear, and that's what I saw. Yeah. When I yep. was not, so I, that's never changed. Um, God of Thunder. I'm going studio on this one. Um, I love the live version because that's when he's doing, you know, the blood and and you know he raises up to the the light truss and sings yep. his song and all that stuff. But the version, uh, to me, on Destroyer was it Destroyer? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So with, with all kid, that production, yeah, with all the yeah the kids yelling in the background. <laughs> I don't know that for me that brings me back to you know pre. 1980 oh yeah or whenever that came out i guess 76 76 yeah 76 i can still hear it and i can still see myself listening to it and the kids talking in the background (laughs) and i just it was so good and so different that when i hear god of thunder that's what i hear that that version not the live version yeah the uh, the alive 2 version too is so up tempo it is, I mean, they are, like you said, you know, we talked about, they play songs <laughs> that it is, co- it is a completely different song almost. And again, like I said, the, my six-year-old mind has all the sound effects and all that stuff from the studio version. I got, yeah. I got to go studio. Yeah. I want you. Good God. Another great song. <laughs> um, I'm going to go studio on this one. Uh, when I hear Paul singing in the studio like that with that intro and then yep. comes into the crunch and the punch, um, God, that's, that is just, that defines kiss when I hear that. Yeah. Oh yeah. I yep. love it. Yep. So I, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you on that one. And then shout it out loud. Yeah. That's, that's kind of a, for me, I guess I'd go live on that one. Um, that seems like that's one of those live versions that when I hear it in my head, it's live. Um, I hear it in the studio as well, but it, it seems like it should be a live song. Yeah. So I'll yeah. go live on that one. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm again, with Destroyer, anything off as Destroyer studio is just, 
because I've heard those songs so many times. Anyway, so yeah, I think that's an interesting exercise to kind of go through, you know, with uh, how iconic those live albums are. But when you really look at them and think about it, you know, which uh, which do you prefer, studio or or live? And now on to the Slamfest tip of the week. So when I flew to Omaha to see that Kiss reunion show, my brother picked me up and he had a cooler in the car and he and he and he opens it up and he gives me a beer. I mean, the first thing I do, I don't, I don't think I even shook his hand or did anything and I had a beer in my hand. So I guess where I'm going with this is when you're planning and when we're planning Slamfest events and we're picking people up at airports and Brad can comment on this when we pick people up at airports we've got alcohol ready and it's in the cooler and it's it's chilled and it's and it's ready to, to drink Brad what I can I can think of picking you up with everybody probably in Detroit a couple times and uh, you got to have cold drinks for your for your guests when you're hosting right when you land at the airport, you better be ready. <laughs> and as and it, you know, if there's any sort of delay, you know, you got pe- we got people flying in from all over the place, right? So people could come in early, and and you know, Mike, who who was on the uh, Pink Floyd episode and has been on on another one as well, he he's got the quote of the ages. He's like, you know, this is why they put bars in in airports. Is for when, <laughs> when, when your when your friends are are delayed and and are coming in later. But yeah, you 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 better be ready to roll for a slam fest event because it starts as soon as you get off the plane. I agree. <laughs> and then it ends with early morning flights. <laughs> oh, the early morning flights. We'll we'll talk about that in the future for sure. So now onto the which side are you on? And like I have said on the KISS episodes, I, I'm kind of putting their albums in a randomizer online because I don't want to be biased at all on choosing certain ones. So I put, put everything that they had released up to the point of the reunion shows and, and Dressed to Kill came out. So about a week ago, I sent this over to Brad and said, get ready. We're going to talk about side one versus side two of Dressed to Kill. So, you know, yeah, the easiest way to do this, Brad, is just to, you know, what are your thoughts on kind of overarching thoughts on side one? Well, first of all, Dress to Kill, um, you know, backing up a little bit, Kiss from 19, whenever they started, 73 to 76, 77. Yep. That is my favorite Kiss era of all time. I just freaking love it. So dressed to kill the album cover with the suits. <laughs> yep. And as a kid, you're looking at that. It makes no sense whatsoever. And you didn't care. You thought it was the greatest thing ever. Um, that record. I loved it. I love the first record. I love dressed to kill the third, fourth record, fifth record. So side one dressed to kill room service, two timer ladies in waiting getaway rock bottom right so there's and i have to look at this because 
on my phone, I don't see the sides anymore. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I had to go back and I'm like, what was side one now? Yeah. Right. So, you know, side one is good. And I, I, this, I love this era of Kiss because again, this was Kiss coming of age. This was Kiss finding their voice, finding their footing, you know, learning how to write songs and getting the melodies down and, uh, you know, just the songwriting in general and recording. That That is not an easy thing to do. And for them, you know, for these guys to pump out these songs early on um, in 75, for God's sake, was good. Yep. So room service, you know, now they're on the road. Um, you know, they're starting to write about, you know, what they're experiencing and yes. girls and hotels and, yep. You, know, yep. you know, the stuff, the typical stuff you would think of, um, two timer ladies in waiting room service. I mean, if you look at the theme of these songs, <laughs> rock, yep. rock, rock bottom, you know, that's yeah. what happens the day after and all this stuff. Right. Right. Um, that's, it's really good. Um, I love Two Timer and I love Ladies in Waiting. Those are probably my favorite tracks on Side One. Okay. Yep. If you listen to the bass, you know, you know, you think of Gene Simmons and you think of the blood and the tongue and the fire and all that stuff. But if you listen to the bass on Two Timer and Ladies in Waiting, and then another one that's not on this record, but um, God of Thunder is another one, and um, Detroit Rock City is another one. Yeah. Listen, listen Baseline. Yeah. yeah. Nobody yeah. talks about that. <laughs> right. Yeah. That, He's an underrated bass player for sure. That deserves a conversation. I mean, come on. But anyway, those are really good songs. Yeah. I love the intro to Rock Bottom. Um, but if you just look at the song as a whole, two, two timer, ladies in waiting. Is by far my favorite. For the longest time, I did not like um, at least the first, you know, the first three songs on this album. You know, as a kid, it's like I had to, as I got older, I appreciated kind of what you were saying, Brad, about the the bass playing. It just, I mean, just the, the songs are simple, yes. Um, and, you know, it, but it took me a little bit of time to, uh, to really appreciate them. And again, you know, Room Service and, and Two Timer, great songs. Getaway was a Ace Frehley song that, that Peter sang. Um, Rock Bottom, great intro. But again, again, you know, again, all these songs too are all short. <laughs> There's not much to them, right? They're, Rock Bottom's got one verse and one chorus and then the solo happens. And then almost they're back into the chorus and then it, you know, the outro. So there's not a lot to it. I think they were, the record company had them rush, you know, it was more of a rush job in general of getting them, getting another album out. Um, so they could tour probably for it. But at the end of the day, I, I, and we'll get into it a little more on side two, but when I had it on eight track, and if you remember eight tracks, they were pain in the ass going from track to track if you tried to do that you kind of skipped over stuff or got into stuff in the middle of songs and it was a mess but i can i really remember listening more to the stuff off of side two at least originally when i was 
when I was getting into the album. Again, again, going back to Two Timer, the bass track on Two Timer, and you know, if you listen to the Beatles and you listen to Dress to Kill, yes, very close. Yeah, <laughs> you can hear the influence. Yeah, definitely. And oh my God, you know, so you know, side one, Two Timer. You know, if I had to pick one, it would probably be that one. Yeah. Yep. And I just love the bass line. I love the the singing on that one. It, it, it's as good as it gets. Yeah, that's probably the best. To me, that might be the best song. Next would be Rock Bottom probably after that. But Two Timer yep. has really grown on me um, as a song. It just, yeah, it's great, great groove to it. Yeah, and what's funny, you know, you, you listen to, when you hear Kiss on the radio, they'll play the typical songs. And, you know, you just shake your head knowing that they're missing so many gems. I know. I know. It's... And they'll, they'll never play them. Nope. And some people will never hear it. Right. And I just, you know, that's one of those things where you're like, I'm so grateful that this happened. Yeah. At, at the age and time yeah. where I was happened to be listening to music in the middle of nowhere usa yep and you got exposed to it yep yep and i I just love it to this day you know years later i'm still listening to it (laughs) and i still love it (laughs) you know back in the day people did that with the beatles and yeah uh you know whoever stones chuck berry whatever it was but yep for me kiss was that to me and you know that was one of those songs it's as good as it gets but let's get to side Side two two, yeah so go ahead so come on and love me anything for my baby she love her all i can and then rock and roll all night so go ahead brad oh my god all right so come on and love me is again top five and I, i think it was on wikipedia or somewhere where it's like oh yeah paul wrote this within an hour and i i think i believe it if you look at the lyrics, yep, um, pretty simple. Um, I'm a Capricorn. You're a Cancer. You, know. <laughs> right. you were distant. Now you're near. No, yep, yep. <laughs> Stuff like that. <laughs> yep. And you know, people make fun of how simple Kiss songs are, but you know, a lot of the Beatles songs were very simple. Simple. As well. Yes. Yep. And, and most Rolling Stones and everybody else, same thing. So, simple does not mean dumb. Simple means catchy and. It's yep. got the hook, the hook and everything else in it. So come on and love me. Uh, that almost defines kiss. It's so good and so simple. It's one of the best songs. I think Paul Stanley wrote it, the whole thing. He wrote, yeah, he, he wrote it on his own. Yeah. Yep. And if you listen to that, and again, the harmonies with Kiss, and nobody thinks of the harmonies when they think of Kiss. They just think of blood and fire and bombs and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. But if you go back and turn all that off and put your headphones on and turn the lights out and listen to these old tracks of Kiss when they were coming up trying to find their way, uh, Come On and Love Me would be one of those. And that goes down as one of the greatest Kiss songs ever. Yeah in my book and it was actually so it was the second single released off of this album um july 10th of of 75 but yeah i don't think it got it didn't gain any traction for for whatever reason um 
but it, it, they 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 saw something in it to at least release it as a single. Yeah, and the guitar track on that one, that's one of those where I think it's a song where during the chorus is also the guitar solo. Yes, right. So yeah. it's like guitar solos happening in the chorus, and and if you listen to the guitar chords, um, the first time they hit the chorus, "Come on and love me," I, I, if I remember right, and I listened to it earlier today, they sing it one time and then they go back into the verse. Yes, and then yep. they go they go back and they repeat it uh, the chorus again. And when they repeat it after the guitar solo, you'll hear the chord progression change just slightly. It goes down a step after the guitar solo and, and it does it again, it repeats it. And then they fade it out and they fade it out like that. And it, it's so good. It's so basic, so simple, and just the most perfect Kiss song ever. <laughs> and with the backing vocals of Simmons and, you know, Paul singing it, that just defines Kiss. And yeah. it, it's so Kiss when I hear it. I just love it. And you can hear Gene very clearly back there. Yep. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah, it's great. Yeah, I love the harmonies, and that's very underrated with Kiss songs. Nobody ever talks about that. They no. don't talk about the bass lines, and they don't talk about the harmonies. Right, but right. They're, they're, there. they're there. They are definitely there. Yep. Anything and, for my baby. Another great song, and that one, that's where the um, the melody in the verse, to me, uh, when you listen to the verse, not so much the chorus, you know, because that's very poppy, anything for my baby. Yeah, yep. kind of But if you listen to the verse on that one, that is very Paul Stanley, and I love it. It's so good. Again, simple, basic and just classic songwriting i love it i love that song very underrated i i this is this is probably my favorite song on the album and it gets slammed for i mean i think the only drawback is there's no guitar solo um on it but that like you said the verse paul stanley's vocal double tracked vocal or you know that they've got going there but it's <laughs> it's one of his better I think vocal performances, especially during the verse, it just, it's just so good. Yep. It's, it's too bad that that, you know, it seems like that should be on his solo record. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That is so Paul Stanley to me. It is. It is. Yep. Great song. Then you get into She. <laughs> Again, it's like, where did this come from? Well, and, and this was a Wicked Lester, right? The band that Paul and Gene had prior to this. This and Lover All I Can were Wicked Lester rework songs, basically. Um, which makes sense. Again, they pulled, you know, the record company pulls them off the road. Hey, you need to do another album. All right, well, we're going to re rework some, <laughs> some older songs, right? To get this thing out. Um, but the two songs they chose to do were amazing yep she that one you know i i hear the guitar on that one and for some reason i think of led zeppelin or cream yeah something along those lines yep and gene with the vocals uh, it's just 
I don't know. That's another one that's, it's like, how is that on side two? I know. <laughs> I, I, it's, it's too good. And the so. harmonizing, the harmonizing during the verse. It, yeah, it's just, it's just, fan. and the drumming, I, I think the drumming during that song is, is really, really, really good. Yeah, for anybody out there listening, you need to go get dressed to kill immediately <laughs> and just go to side two, which would be after rock bottom. <laughs> yep. And, and just play those three songs in a row. Yes. Yeah. In a row. It's, gee, I don't know why that's on side two. I know. And again, th- these are the three songs I remember listening to the most as a kid. Yeah. I, I just, I, those are the three that stand out to me. But, yeah, four and five, rock and roll night. It's overplayed. I'm sick of that song. Yep. I'm sure they are too, but it paid for their houses. Yep. And private jets. So I'm sure they're fine with it. I would say, you know, if I'm if I'm picking a side, come on and love me it is worth you know, if you just pick that song alone, then that's all you need to know. Yeah. It's side two. It's too good. I can't believe it's on side two. I'd like to have a talk with that producer. Somebody made a mistake there. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, I don't know. The other two are, you know, the four and five, Lover All I Can, Rock and Roll and Night. They're okay. Everybody knows Rock and Roll and Night. What do you think of Lover All I Can? It's okay. But I think I'm, when I'm listening to it, I'm so shell-shocked from Come On and Love Me. <laughs> But the other ones, and then, you know, I get into anything for my baby is is great as well. And she is good. And then it sort of fades away. It, it, it's good. Yep. But it's not great. Yep. So that's that's my take on that. Yeah. And I, I, I agree with you again. Rock and Roll Night was the first single, obviously. But again, it's very telling that only reached number 69. Um, I, yeah, I'm just not a fan of the studio version at all of the song Gene's clean vocal um the chorus i i don't know i just i the, the live version is way better it reached number 12 versus number 69 as this version so i think that's all you need to know about that but looking at the sides and i think we've we've made it pretty clear that we both uh we both prefer side two um over side one i mean i almost get a feel for the the production almost seems different on side two than side one. Yeah, I'm not sure. That's why I would love to see some yeah. sort of documentary of <laughs> how this was made and the equipment they used and yep. the, budget, the budget they had. And Exactly, know, yeah. It would just be great to see that. But So yeah, so Brad and I both go with side two over side one of Kiss's third album, Dressed to Kill. So, Brad, we're at the end. It was way overdue, but I think it was a good episode to wait <laughs> to have you on. I think I when I reached out to you, I think I reached out to you in the summer, and I think you, you said, yeah, the fall is, you know, a little busy for me. Um, you know, later on would be better, and I think I threw out this, at least this episode, and you're like, yeah, I think this will be good you know, after the, after the new year. So I think it worked out. It was a pleasure to talk about KISS with another <laughs> KISS fan. They're hard to find in the middle of Nebraska. Um, my whole family was against me. 
I think I won a few of them over, including my parents. Yeah. I still, I still remind them that they saw the greatest band in the world. They did. Yeah. I do remember my mom telling me in 1980, she was asking if I wanted to go to see John Denver. Oh. And I said, John, who? And <laughs> she's like, John Denver. And of course, you know, the songs on the radio and stuff, but. I didn't really want to go, but then she said, he's playing the same place that Kiss went to. And I'm like, I'm going. <laughs> I went back to the Civic and I saw John, John Denver. Denver nice. in the round. Yeah, awesome. Awesome. Well, yeah, so again, Brad, as soon as we can start seeing shows again, you know, with the with the crew, you know, hopefully maybe the you know, the next morning with over some coffee, we can record an episode about the show that we just saw the night before. I think, you know, I think that that's what this, uh, I think that's what this podcast would really thrive on is <laughs> talking about shows, you know, the day after. Um, and hopefully we can get back to a point of doing that. That would be, that would be good. Thanks for joining me. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I think that day's coming. And it's just a matter of time. Did any of you see the KISS reunion tour in the fall of 1996? If so, when and where and what were your thoughts, memories, or stories from that show? What are your thoughts on Alive and Alive 2? Which do you prefer? And of the songs on each, which ones do you prefer in the studio or live? And last but not least, what are your thoughts on KISS's third studio album, Dressed to Kill? side one or side two let us know your thoughts by emailing us at slamfestpodcast at gmail.com or request to join our private facebook page at slamfest podcast thanks for listening until next time <laughs> <laughs>